Harper's Church, so glad you guys are here today. And if you are here in person, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family? Let them know that we're glad that they're worshiping with us here today. And you are here for a very, very special Sunday because we have an incredible guest speaker with us, Dave Stone. Dave served at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the largest churches in America for about 30 years or so. In the last 13 years, he was the lead minister there. And during that time, the church grew from 17,000 people to 27,000 people. Dave is a nationally known speaker. He's a Christian author. In fact, we have some of his books available out in the hub if you wanna stop by and get one. But we are just so honored that Dave is here and he decided to carve out some time to be with us. My family had a chance to spend some time with him last night and he is just an awesome guy. And if you know anything about Dave, you know that he has a sincere love for Jesus and his church and for the family as well. So we are just so excited to have him kick off our series today. So if you would put your hands together and give a warm first church welcome for Dave Stone. Thanks, bud. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I am honored to be here. I've looked forward to this for quite some time. And we did have fun last night. We went out to eat with uh, Chad and Allison, and we went with uh, Matthew, uh, Matt and, and Stephanie. We had a great time together. I had no idea, though, that uh, he was such a big University of Kentucky fan, all right? And you have to understand, I, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and the rest of the state is University of Kentucky fans. And so that was the most time I've ever... Spent, that's the closest I've ever sat with people who are, are University of Kentucky fans. And uh, it's, a little, it's a little different because we are arch rivals, but we are united through Christ. So I will say that. But uh, they, they just, they're a little sketchy, the University of Kentucky. <laughs> I, I, you know, you never can pin Calipari down. He's just a different duck. Uh, somebody said, uh, how many UK players does it take to screw in a light bulb? And the answer is one, but he gets three hours of credit for doing it. Uh, so it's a little, it's a little suspect, all right? But we're at this restaurant last night, and it was crazy because we're waiting for our table, and uh, this guy beside us finds out that, that uh, Chad and I are from Kentucky, and he's from Chicago, and he was very proud of the fact he was from Chicago, and, you know, and, and uh, kind of looked down upon us, and then he started making fun of our, our zoo that we have in Kentucky. Now, we can, we can be different on when it comes to basketball allegiances, but, you know, you're, you're picking on our state's zoo, all right? And so he starts ripping on a little bit, and he said, no, no, he said, I'm, I'm not saying this is a, a bad zoo. He said, I'm just saying it's very different than the one we have in Chicago. And so we both said at the same time, we said, how is it different? And the guy said, well, in Chicago, on our zoo, on each cage, we have the name of the animal in English, and the next year, we have the name of the animal in Latin. I went, wow. I said, well, what do we have in Kentucky? He said, well, on each cage, you have the name of the animal in English, and then next to it, you have a recipe. <laughs> and we, we couldn't say anything, all right? So, but... Uh, you, you come to, back to Kentucky, and I'll take you for a good possum dinner, all right? Uh, it is great to be here with you. I'm so excited. I got to watch your Easter service from last week, and how exciting that was. You guys had to be pumped up with Good Friday and with the Easter service, and Chad had a tremendous message, and uh, I just love seeing what God is, is doing here at First Church, and I'm excited to, to learn more about what God's doing here. 
As Matt said, we're beginning a brand new series called Relationship Goals. We'll look at different relationships, friendships, marriage, uh, ultimate goals. Today, though, we want to talk about uh, what our, our parenting can look like. And you might say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent. Well, trust me, it will apply to you if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a future parent, uh, if you're uh, an aunt or an uncle, this will apply to you. I heard about a, a family that had participated in a dedication service at their church and the parents had dedicated their four-year-old boy that day. But as they left the church, as they pulled out of the parking lot, they noticed that their four-year-old son in the, in the back seat was kind of whimpering and crying. And so they said, what, what's wrong? And through his tears, he said, well, he said, the preacher said that he wanted us to be raised in a Christian home, but I want to stay here with you and mom. <laughs> Raising kids... To love the Lord in an authentic household is a tall task these days. And whether you are a coach or a mentor, whether you are a teacher or a grandparent, a mom or a dad, you want to have an eternal impact. Listen to this, parents. This is Tim Kimmel. Uh, an author says it like this. He says, you've been handed a piece of history in advance, a gracious gift that you send to a time that you will not see. And you play the biggest role in how that history will ultimately be recorded. And as a parent and now as a grandparent, I know how hard it is to bat a thousand. It's, it's impossible. But that's why our, our text today is so encouraging to me. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, uh, you can turn to 1 Samuel. We'll have the scriptures up here on the screen. But uh, turn to the book of 1 Samuel. It's a story of a priest named Eli. And this story provides for us both a good and a bad example of parenting. Now, Eli was a good man, but he was very weak when it comes to, to spiritual leadership and parenting. And Eli meets a woman named Hannah and her husband, Elkanah, and she has been unable to get pregnant. And it was incredibly disheartening for her. And some of you know exactly what that pain feels like. And each year, she and her husband would make the journey to worship in a town called Shiloh. And there she would pour her heart out to the Lord and she would just beg of him that she would be allowed to have a child. We pick up the story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. That's a promise that she makes. That's her prayer. And Eli the priest is in there, and on hearing that story, he sends her on her way, and he says, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him for. And soon after that, Hannah becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a son, and she names him Samuel. And Hannah is grateful and gives God the, the glory for this child. Now, now look at verse 27 and 28. She says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. She doesn't just dedicate him to the Lord. She keeps her promise and gives him to the Lord. It's a privilege. It's a blessing of God. If he allows you to be able to, to adopt a child or, or, or to have a child or to help raise a child, that's a privilege. And every parent's goal... Here it is. Every parent's goal is to raise your child to love the Lord. That is our parenting goal. Now, when your child grows up, 
because God gave them free will. They can make their own decision, but they are an adult when they're adult and they leave the home. You can't force them to follow Jesus. You can't make them. You can't pay them to be a Christ follower. But through the years you have with them, you can help to pave the way to make it more likely that they will be attracted to choose Jesus. And so today what I want to do is I want to focus on three different gifts that every parent must give to their children. Gift number one. Consistent discipline. And some of you are saying, well, that doesn't sound a whole lot like a gift, right? If you're a kid in here, that's what you're thinking right now. Because in your mind, discipline has a very negative connotation because your parents disciplined you perhaps out of anger or there was no rhyme or reason or consistency to it. Now, in our text here in in 1 Samuel, we learned that Eli the priest has two sons. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. Say those two names with me. Here we go. Hophni and Phineas. Fortunately, those names did not catch on in our American culture, right? But 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 says it like this. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. I think this is the only time in all the Bible that the word scoundrel is used. It's, it's amazing. They were grossly abusing their authority. And Hophni and Phinehas always made certain that they got a much bigger portion of the sacrifices, the food sacrifices that were brought in that they were to receive. They dishonestly took more than they were supposed to. And all this took place in the Lord's house. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17... It says, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So this was a pattern of disobedience from their younger years that has now moved into adulthood. So learn an important positive lesson from their negative example. If bad behavior isn't confronted early, it will continue. And it will get worse. And it will get worse. Let me put it another way. Realize that your little angel is not a little angel. Your your child is sinful. And so are the parents of that child. We have all been infected with this sinful nature. And appropriate and consistent discipline is one way to show your child that you love them, regardless of if they are a toddler or a teen. Parenthood is modeled on the relationship between God and us. He has the right to call the shots. And as parents, we do as well with our children. You say, but, but Dave, I, I mean, I, I really want my, my children to like me. Well, deep down, so, so do I. I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I, I want to be liked. But throughout their adolescence, they, they don't need you to be their friend. They need you to be their parent. I remember when our, our firstborn was two and a half years old, my, my wife Beth had, had gone somewhere for the afternoon and I was watching Savannah and Savannah had been outside, we'd been playing in the backyard and she came in, her shoes were all dirty and, and she climbed up on top of a chair and she started walking across the kitchen counter and she was growling like she was a lion and she's getting dirt all over the place and I looked at her, I said, does mommy let you do that? And she said, no, but you do. (laughs) And it was at that moment that I I realized that, man, I've I've got to make some changes. It was a great wake-up call for me. If you lean toward lenience, your child will constantly play up to you. Whether your child is three, whether they're six, whether they're 16. 
They gravitate toward the parent that they can manipulate. And the biggest mistake that parents make is failing to be consistent with their discipline and expectation. Never discipline publicly out of anger or frustration. Realize that when your kids are out of control, you, you try to rein them in, but you don't smother your child with rules and restrictions. In those early years, you are establishing your right to rule as mom and dad. And there are a lot of rules in those early years. That's a good thing. In fact, in that stage, boundaries foster security. And you're saying, I love you, but, but there are going to be some consequences. And in a healthy family, the older they get, the more they prove themselves faithful and they deserve more freedom and more privileges and more responsibility. And God's plan is for there to be a progressive releasing. And the parent who balances love and discipline without compromising is more likely to raise well-adjusted kids. And the biblical principle that you're familiar with that is unfolding is what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 25. You be faithful in the small things and I will put you in charge of many things. And so, for some of you as parents, you need to consistently discipline. But it doesn't stop there. The second gift is that of unconditional love. Unconditional love. God the Father modeled this for us with his son at Jesus' baptism. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, says a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And when it comes to unconditional love, positive words are a good starting point. But actions speak louder than words. And regardless of, of their age, our kids need to know that, that there are plenty of opportunities that we're taking advantage of to show them the love through what we say, through what we do, how we react to the hardships that they, they, they face. I remember when I was 15, I, I experienced every teenage boy's dream uh, my mom and dad went away on a trip with, with some friends of theirs, two whole days with, without them. And, and my dad was the dean of uh, Cincinnati Bible Seminary at the time. And since he didn't trust my brother and he didn't trust me, he arranged for us to stay in the dorm while my parents were out of town with this other couple. But when my parents left the, the college, they made one mistake. They, they rode with the other couple out of town, and mom left her car there, and dad left his car there. And no sooner had my parents left than my brother, who was 18 at the time, came walking over to me, and he had a set of car keys, and he said, hey, he said, why don't you take the Blue Beauty around for a spin sometime? Now, he knew I was an unlicensed driver. I didn't even have my permit. I was only 15 years old, but uh, he gave me the keys to a 1969 Dodge Dart, a chick magnet, all right? And so even though I didn't have my license, I drove around that campus for two solid days. I would wait for an administrative assistant to come out of a building, and I'd say, hey, Sheila, where are you going? Oh, I'm going on the other side of the campus to make some copies. Well, hop in. I'll give you a ride. I'd ride her over there. When are you coming back? I'll be back in about 10 minutes. I'll give you a ride back. So I ran a shuttle service for lonely secretaries for two days. Everyone who got in the car with me, I said the exact same thing to them. Hey, promise me, just you'll keep this a secret. Don't tell my parents. Don't say anything to anybody. Oh, Dave, nobody's going to say anything. You don't need to worry. So everything was fine. My parents came back in town. Day one, everything was cool. Day two, everything was great. On the third day, my dad came home from work. He slammed the door. He said, boys, I want to see you in my study. 
We went in to study with him. He slammed that door. He started pacing back and forth. You ever seen your dad pace in a room about this size? He went back and forth. Finally, he stopped. He pointed at both of us. He said, is there anything that you boys want to tell me? Well, we had done a lot of different things. Uh, They had been gone for nearly three days. And my brother and I live by a very simple principle. Never confess to a felony if he only has you for a misdemeanor. All right? And so he says, is there anything that you boys want to tell me? And I I looked back and said, we we have nothing to declare. And my dad, being a preacher, immediately began to spout off an impromptu parable. No lie, this is what he said. A certain man went on a journey out of town with his wife. Oh, no. I know where this is going. He said, a certain man went on a journey out of town with his wife. Before leaving, he entrusted two sets of car keys to his older son, who in turn entrusted one set of car keys to his younger brother, who did not have a driver's license and yet proceeded to drive around the campus of Cincinnati Bible Seminary for two and a half days. What should happen to these two boys? Dead silence. He said it again. What should happen to these two boys? Finally, my Sunday school training kicked in and I said, as surely as the Lord lives, the elder brother must die. Uh, As I recall, my dad did not think it was that funny. And he said, uh, when you turn 16, you're going to have to wait a while to get your driver's license. Oh, and that was torture to me. It just killed me. But there were consequences, but there was not condemnation. In fact, after two days of being 16, he, he walked in my bedroom. He said, let's go. I said, what do you mean, let's go? Where, you know, prison? I had no idea, Right. He said, no, let's go get your license. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. He said, you've learned your lesson. And so we went and we got it. We we show grace because we need grace. And if as a child you don't sense that your parents love you and that they don't extend grace, then you will become an adult child who longs for that and you're likely to look for love in unhealthy places, in unhealthy ways. If I asked 100 parents if they loved their children, every one of them would say, oh, of course I do. I would do anything for them. I would die for them. But if I asked 100 kids whether their parents loved them, there would be some of them that would say, no, no, they really don't love me. Now, a few of them, maybe that's true for them. But for most of those who would say, no, they don't love me, it's just because the parents have done a poor job of communicating that love. And so we learn what our child's love language is. We try to speak it. We catch your son doing something right, and you commend him in front of others. You let your daughter know that you think she's beautiful and smart and talented. Grandparents, you you write a letter to encourage your grandchild. You, You send it snail mail to them. I promise you they will read it over and over again, and they will treasure it. Consistent discipline, unconditional love. And parents, here's here's the third gift your children need, spiritual direction. The pandemic has given us more time with our children, but we haven't always taken advantage of that time in the greatest way. What do they see in us as parents that helps to point them in the right direction spiritually? What did you watch when you binged during COVID? How did you fill your time? These are times of teaching, opportunities to point this younger person in the proper direction. Well, back to our story in the Old Testament. Evidently, 
Eli was, was silent in the early years with his sons, and they lacked spiritual direction. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. So these are the priest's sons. They work alongside their dad, the priest, and, and the gals who are coming to worship, these sons are taking them off to the side and, and they are, are sleeping with them. His, his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. And their dad told them what to do and what not to do, but they didn't listen to him. And evidently, he didn't put any teeth behind what he said. And my guess is that this had been a pattern of parenting for quite some time. He was there, but he wasn't there. Husbands, has, has your wife ever said those words to you? You see, Eli's job, his ministry, had captured more of his attention than his children. And if you're a parent who works full-time, you know that tension of a balancing job and family. There was a season in my life when I was enjoying speaking a whole lot and, and ministry opportunities were growing at the church where I served and and more so than pouring into my wife and children, I found myself just working 60 to 70 hour weeks. That became the norm for this uh, driven workaholic. My self-imposed quest to, to provide for my family was actually causing me to neglect them. But all that changed uh, one Father's Day. I was getting ready to preach for Father's Day and just before I got up to preach, a soloist sang a song. Here were the lyrics to the, the chorus that she sang. Slow down, daddy, don't work so hard. We're proud of our house, we've got a big enough yard. Slow down, daddy, we want you around. Daddy, please slow down. When she sang that chorus, it must have been three or four times through the course of that song. And when she finished singing, everybody applauded, and I confidently walked up to the pulpit to preach. And I opened my mouth, and nothing came out. And tears just streamed down my face. I couldn't even, I couldn't even choke a word out. I looked over at our worship leader, and he grabbed a microphone. And he came out and he said, hey, let's, let's sing a chorus for a minute. Let's sing a chorus. And he led them in a chorus and I kind of got my composure and, and came back out. Later I learned that when that happened, our children's ministry director, Linda Brandon, was seated in that hour next to her young son. And when I began uh, getting emotional, he looked up at his mom and said, Mommy, why is Pastor Stone crying? And she very candidly said, well, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, sometimes you cry. <laughs> She's no longer on our staff. Um, but she was right. And when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, sometimes you cry. And on that day, with the Lord's help, I can honestly say to you that I changed I intentionally placed my family where they belonged. Above work, but below God. You know, it's impossible to give spiritual direction if you don't spend time with your children and let them know that they are a priority. But that's just the start of it. In order to spiritually influence your, your kids, 
then Jesus must be a greater priority to you than your children are to you. Otherwise, your kids will sense that your family is more important than your faith. And if Jesus truly is the Lord of your life, then he is the one that's on the throne. The psalmist gives us an interesting metaphor when it comes to raising children. He says this in Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5. He said, like, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And I love that analogy, comparing children with arrows. You know why I love that? Is because think of the process that an arrow must undergo when David wrote those words. For an arrow to serve its purpose, it must be straightened, sharpened, aimed, and released. You are raising them to release them. You are helping them mature and prepare for independence. An arrow can never fulfill its purpose if you don't let it go. And may I add that arrows fly straighter and more freely when they know that you believe in them. And I firmly believe that the best way to spread the gospel is for parents to joyfully and consistently live out their faith. And while Hophni and Phinehas weren't listening to their father Eli, this young man Samuel was listening to him. Samuel was growing up right there in the house of the Lord and he was was listening and he was learning from this priest and and the Bible says that he was growing in, in favor with the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel is living there at at the house of the Lord. He's been there for a number of years. We think he's probably a, a, a young teenager at this time. We don't know exactly, but Samuel is about to fall asleep, and he hears his name called out, and he thinks it's Eli, the priest, who's calling to him. And he goes to him, and Eli says, no, I, I didn't call you. This happens again and again. It happens the third time. A light bulb goes off in Eli's mind, and Eli realizes it is the Lord who is calling to Samuel. So Eli says to this young boy, he says, go and lie down, and if he calls your name again, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Bible says that the Lord came and and stood there calling out, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the message paraphrases 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. It says, God said to Samuel, listen carefully. I'm getting ready to do something in Israel that is going to shake everyone up and get their attention. And God goes on and he shares with this boy some of the things that he is planning to do in Israel at that time. And God shares information that will help Samuel become the godly leader that the Lord wants him to be. If you teach your children to listen for God's voice and how to know God's will, God might use your child to shake things up for an entire nation. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the most potent weapon as parents when it comes to giving spiritual direction. Now let me point out something that I don't want you to miss. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it begins by saying that the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. So he's in the right place. He's in God's house and he's, he's worshiping. Samuel is worshiping. He's in God's house. He's learning. He's serving. That's all good. But here's the verse that every parent needs to see. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 7. Now Samuel, after it says all those things he's involved in, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. You say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a second. <laughs> That's got to be a misprint. I mean, you just said that, that Samuel was serving, he was worshiping, he was ministering. Well, you've got to get this. He knew about the Lord. 
He just didn't know the Lord yet. Dave, are you trying to tell me that it's entirely possible for my child to, to grow up at First Church each summer to go to Sciocamo, to participate in junior high, small groups, to be involved in midweek, to have a spiritual retreat at Youth Quake, to go on a mission trip to Mexico and still not know the Lord? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Religious activity does not automatically equate to spiritual intimacy or salvation. And that statement is true for adults as well. Because if religious activity was the ultimate goal, then Jesus would have applauded the Pharisees rather than rebuking them. Now, all those things I listed, I hope your kids are involved in them. I hope your grandkids are involved in them. Those activities, those classes, those camps, those service projects, they're all good things. They're just not a substitute for your child making Jesus the Lord of their life. That is a personal choice that your child will have to make. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, my mom's favorite verse. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And your words and actions can, can help to shape their spiritual formation. Erwin McManus preaches in Los Angeles. Several years ago, he spoke at a conference where he shared about, at the time, his nine-year-old son had returned from a church camp out in California. And McManus said, I thought that this would be a great experience for him to, to send him off to this church camp, and he would learn some, some good things. He'd learn some things about the Bible. But when his son came home, he couldn't even go to sleep that first night. He was afraid of the dark. Do you know why? Not because they told him ghost stories, but at this church camp, instead they told him demon stories. And Erwin said, what do you do when your, your kid comes home and says, I can't, I can't sleep because I'm, I'm, I'm scared of the devil and I'm scared of, of demons? Erwin said, man, I should have sent him to a good pagan camp, you know? They, were, they would have told him about ghosts and I could have just said, ah, oh, it's not true. There's no such thing as ghosts. But what am I supposed to tell my child when he's nine years old? Well, yes, honey, Satan is alive and well. Yes, Satan is the prince of darkness. Yes, he, he rules this world. Yes, he utilizes countless demons to carry out his work who are invisible. They're everywhere. They're in our city. They're in our subdivision. They're in our home. Good night. No. Can't say that. And his son said, Dad, Dad, pray for me. Pray for me, Daddy, that God will make me safe. And he said that several times, and finally, Erwin McManus got down on his hands and knees, and he sat there right next to his uh, son in his bed. He said, Daddy, just pray that God will make me safe. And Erwin McManus said, I am not going to pray that. He said, Daddy? He said, I'm not going to pray that. He said, I'm going to pray that God will make you so dangerous for Christ that all the demons will have to flee if they enter a room where you are. And he said, my son looked up at me and said, all right, Dad, then you pray that God makes me really dangerous. Those words of life had a long-term spiritual impact on Aaron. You see, Erwin McManus was aiming his arrow. What if you were to stop praying prayers of safety for your children? And you started praying for God to boldly use your child as an instrument of the Lord. 
There's no such thing as a perfect parent, but with the Lord's help and a lot of prayer, he can use you. And when it comes to parenting, God is much more concerned with your direction than he is your perfection. And your greatest accomplishment to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do. It may be someone that you raise. Let's pray. Father, at, uh, at communion time, Tim reminded us that, that we are united. We're united because we all have the same father. And Lord, it's our, our goal in parenting to raise our kids to love you. And while ultimately it's their choice as parents and grandparents, we, we ask for your guidance. Give us the wisdom to know how to discipline consistently. Help us to follow your example and to love unconditionally. Give us a passion to model the direction that they need to take spiritually. And give us grace when we make mistakes. And may our children grow up to be so dangerous for Christ that the demons will have to flee. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.